I'm Ren Young. And I'm Katrina Vargas. And And this this is That Other F Word. Katrina, I am all a mix of emotions right now. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super nervous because I have no links. I have no list. I am just out here, but... We know how that makes me feel, right? It it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel so excited for so many reasons. Do you feel alive? I feel alive. I feel (laughs) like when off the cuff and then you're off the cuff. So then I'm like, ooh, you're a little nervous. And I kind of like that. And well, and if, and if you and I don't do well in this episode, we'll know that it's because there was no list. True. That's true. But (laughs) Also, by the way, we're very excited because I have also, I, I feel unmoored, but I feel so happy because one of my favorite humans in the whole world, Lewis is here hanging out with us Yep. and Lewis, you all may remember, um, is our former producer before we are originally our Ridge producer. And then he was like, I'm too busy for your nonsense. <laughs> and then <laughs> And then that's how we met Mitch and so, and got to expand our, that other F word family. Yep. And so we, we are here because finally, we get him back finally, even if it's just for today. Right. Well, and we're Mitchless. So like, I mean, I don't know whether to say sorry or you're welcome. Oh but- yeah. You're welcome for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But we're here because um, Lou and I were talking and actually- I referenced in a recent episode, we were talking about, um, you know, people of color and, and appropriation and recognizing other people and how we deal with racism. And I was talking about how I had a friend who was a person of color who, when he and I went through kind of a racist situation in the place where we worked, I didn't really think about, oh, I wonder how he feels about this as a person of color. I felt like we were going through something together and about how that was also not good because we kind of have to recognize that other people are with things in a different way than we are. Well, it's the same um, thing. Like when we say you're not colorblind, like we don't have that luxury. Like, well, I wouldn't have said it, but in that situation, I was being colorblind. <laughs> right. Um, and it's all along the same kind of lines. So that unnamed human was in fact Lewis. <laughs> Um, And so he and I were talking and we were talking about cultural whiteness, which isn't something that I even found easily when I Googled it, but um, we were talking about his experience as a person of color and also Katrina, who comes from Miami and um, is actually not of Latin descent, but you might think she was if you met her because she grew up in Miami but Katrina's Jewish and Filipino and like just a, you know, a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. And, but I did marry somebody who is Latino. Right. And so we were talking about how it might be nice to talk about that. And then we just decided, Hey, how about we talk about it and re-record it? And so here we are today. And so Lou, if you want to tell us a little bit of your like origin story, since you are a superhero, um <laughs> ours at least for sure <laughs> well yeah i don't know about that um well i'm lewis um so i know rin from we used to work together like she said at that um at, at a job at a university um 
Yeah, kind of my background. I guess I was born in Guatemala in the mid 90s. Um, you know, Guatemala, that was kind of towards the end of the civil war that had been going on in that country. Um, and all throughout that civil war, you know, adoptions from the United States, from Guatemala, uh, um, have been pretty, pretty high. And, and that actually, there are a lot less international um, adoptees today than there, there used to be, especially towards the end of the the you know 80s and 90s but I was adopted by my parents um, about six months after I was born so uh, I was you know I, I wasn't a newborn when they kind of brought me home but my parents um, are both American they're a gay couple and so one of my dads is from um, you know a Puerto Rican family he was born on the island and grew up you know his younger years Kind of on the island but then moved to um, New Jersey to a very you know um, high Latino population when he was a little bit older and then my other dad you know completely opposite as can be grew up in like suburban you know Minnesota lily white you know Finnish Scandinavian family um, you know everything like the whole leave it to beaver kind of house pick a white fence all of that stuff um so you couldn't ask for like kind of two different people in that that relationship but they adopted me and and you know so there were kind of like a couple different factors at play one you know an international adoption and two um i mean they really were on the front line in terms of like gay people adopting kids like that was not you know now today i see like you know, we went to Bar Harbor last year um, during during the summer when COVID rates were, were lower up in New England, um, Bar Harbor, Maine. And, you know, we were out to eat one evening and, you know, we saw like a gay couple at the same restaurant and my parents were like looking at them and they're like, look, it's a gay couple. And I'm like, yeah, that that's a thing now. Like that happens because it, it just wasn't a thing like growing up at all. And now it's it's much more commonplace, which I'm I'm grateful for. Um, but I think still, you know, getting used to that idea too. So, you know, they adopted me when I was six months old um, and I grew up, you know, largely, I moved around a bit growing up, but I um, grew up in Illinois. Like most of my Illinois was in, was in Illinois, um, kind of in a community on the very, very edge of sort of the Chicago Metro um, lived in Maryland for, for a time between like middle school and, in my first two years of high school. And I finished out high school in Chattanooga, um, went to college at University of Tennessee. And that's where I had, you know, met Ren and started working uh, there. And then, you know, I've bounced around um, a couple places since then, Indiana, and, and now I'm in uh, New Hampshire. So cool. Okay, so let me just start. Makes my heart leap, okay, um, for a lot of reasons. Because we sit in juvenile court and actually there has, there still is some problems with gay couples um, adopting children, and some of the states are less um, supportive of that, and it's a big problem for me because I think children should be loved and adopted by people who are willing to love and adopt them. It doesn't, it shouldn't matter, you know, race, creed, or sexual orientation or anything, but that does kind of lead us into some of the things that we've talked about beforehand, and so we talked about how you can be culture, like culturally white when um, brought up. And so we've got 
several friends who have adopted children of different races, ethnicities, all of that. And as much as they're tr they try to um, honor their heritage, it's still, I can't be anything but what I am um, in my experience, even though I can teach you and I can help you and I can help you learn. I'm, you know, my, our friends are still white. Their daughters are still African. That doesn't, we, they've got them out of poverty and have given them a great life, but they're culturally white. And so that can, that leads to a lot of problems. It leads to problems with children of the same race as them with different, with the opposite race, because it's like, a lot of kids are, well, what are, you know, what are you, but, you know, cause you're not acting a certain way and all of that. And so has your experience, so I don't know that I realized one dad is of Puerto Rican descent. Was he raised in a very, Amer because some Latins are, you know, Latino or Hispanic families, especially it depends on when they came here were very much like I have a friend who's Puerto Rican, born and raised there. And I mean, but they moved here and I mean, it was American all the way. She doesn't even, she doesn't even speak Spanish anymore. And that was her first language. So. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that was his experience. I would say, um, no, because I mean, the, the area that he moved to in New Jersey, you know, working class, um, Puerto Rican, you know, so I would say like, I don't, I don't think there was a big pressure for him to um, assimilate and become Americanized. I mean, I think, you know, definitely like it happened organically, but I don't know, I don't ever recall kind of hearing from him that there was a push from, um, you know, my grandparents for that. I mean, my grandmother today, I mean, she still only exclusively speaks Spanish for the most part. Um, so, you know, in terms of language, certainly, I don't think there was like a major, major, um, you know, push for that. So then how were you raised? Yeah. And so I'll also preface this by two. Th so one thing, I have two younger brothers. Um, both of them are black. Both of them were adopted domestically from Chicago. Um, and then I will also preface it by saying, I mean, I think just period, um, the net good of adoption, you know, Trans, transracial adoption included by far for me my you know my own perspective just speaking from the eye perspective um benefits any of the other you know kind of tangential negative things that may have come along with that um you know I was really fortunate I think really the last I took probably pre-covid um in like spring 2019 um I went to Guatemala for a work thing a work trip um, and it was the first time I'd been back in basically, you know, 20 plus years since being adopted. Um, and we were only there for a short time and most of it was work. So I didn't really get to kind of see any of the country. But, you know, the big thing I took away was just like, how different would my life have been, you know, had I grown, grown up here? Um, and, and again, so that, you know, I think for me, period, just, you know, the net benefits definitely outweigh but your question was about um kind of like how do I define um cultural you know cultural whiteness right mm -hmm. so I think for me you know it is interesting and again yeah like I've tried googling this too and I, it, it's an area that I don't think has been explored quite much you know socially academically um it's something that I would really be interested in seeing more of I mean I think for me um 
it is kind of in many, in some ways, similar to the experience of being mixed race, but it is just internally. Uh, so I, and, you know, for me, right, the way that I look um, is, you know, I definitely come across as Latino, like I look very Guatemalan, um, you know, so there's no, there's no outwards kind of mixed race identity that I have to navigate or deal with, but internally there is. And so a lot of the time I, I, you know, especially more in adulthood, I've dealt a lot with sort of this imposter syndrome because it's like, you know, if you're among people who, um, you know, grew up with a traditional Latinx background, sometimes it's like, it's kind of like the game among us, right? It's like, you're the imposter, like you're the one there and nobody knows that you're actually not a, you know, quote unquote, authentic Latino. Um, they don't know that you grew up kind of in, you know, so much of this is tied to whiteness, right? Because of the socioeconomic implications of whiteness. You know, my white dad was the primary breadwinner while my Puerto Rican dad was a stay-at-home parent. Um, so we grew up in white neighborhoods. We grew up in white schools. And so in, in a lot of ways, I was very privileged. I, you know, again, we went to the best public schools because that schools are tied to um, income and they're tied to housing, you know, taxes. Um, we lived in kind of the best neighborhoods. Again, largely white. And why is that? There's the whole, you know, kind of racist and and, and class histories behind that. Um, so I got a very good education. I've been very fortunate in my life. I was able to go to, you know, a good public university and state school. And I've had good jobs since graduating. And I've had a lot of privilege because of my background, because I did learn how to navigate whiteness because it's how I, how I just grew up. You know, a lot of other people of color will talk about things you know, even just as simple in, in job interviews about how white people expect to be greeted or how white people expect, you know, your manners. It can be things as like kind of archaic as like, do you know which forks and spoons and all that stuff to use if you go to like a really fancy restaurant? Um, things that can be very important in kind of, you know, mid to higher income white culture that just aren't, aren't things as much in other, you know, communities of color. Um, those, those things I learned how to navigate. So as a person of color, institutionally, I haven't had to face, I think, a lot of the same sort of social, um, you know, barriers as other people of color have. Because again, I, I know how to navigate white spaces just by virtue of having grown up in them. And so that's an enormous privilege. And I, I don't take that lightly. And in you know, the work that I do, I work in communications and marketing. I mean, I really have tried to be a person who can kind of, you know, bridge the gap between um, institutions and, you know, more outdated kind of helping dismantle the structures from within. Um, while at the same time, you know, as an adult is when I really came into my own you know, person of color identity. And so I feel like I've been able to bridge, you know, dismantling systems because I know how to navigate them a little bit. Um, 
and also, you know, uplifting kind of the, the BIPOC, you know, POC perspective. Um, and, and that's not to say that, like, I do, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I have any impact. I mean, maybe I'm doing okay. Maybe I'm doing great. Maybe I'm doing a poor job at it. I don't know. Um, but it's something that's important to me and that, I'm, that I try to do where I can. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a unique experience and, and one that I hope more people will start to explore and, and, and just talk because I think it's kind of one of the things just because it's such a small minority of people that, um, have kind of the unique experience of transracial adoption. Um, it's just something that hasn't come up sort of in the, in the collective consciousness as much yet. Sure. Well, I think. I'm sure you're doing a great job, I will say. And I mean, just even saying transracial adoption is something, Rin and I have been on foster care review board for years. And I don't even know that we've ever heard that, that term. Rin. I was just sitting here thinking, so I think sometimes something that can feel like a challenge can actually be your superpower. Mm-hmm. And I think listening to you talking about being able to be that bridge, I feel like this is actually your superpower. Absolutely. And I wish that I had, I could tell you that when I talked about your superhero origin story, that this is where I was headed. I was not, but a happy coincidence. Um, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think that I'm now thinking about all the times in foster care review board, Katrina, both one thing that kind of has bonded us is that we're both empathetic people. I'm empathetic just because it's my nature to be empathetic, but often she and I will feel the same way about something in foster care review board, but I feel it just because I'm like a human. Whereas Katrina thinks about things in a cultural way that I don't. So, um, you know what I mean? And I well, think that that being able to look at a situation, why someone is acting differently or thinking differently or has a different perspective, just by nature, um, it is a superpower. And it is like an incredible skill that if more people had, we would have a more harmonious world. <laughs> well, I'll say because of how I, where I grew up and by no means am I a victim here, but I never was, I had to learn and assimilate with the people around me because I was distinctly not Latin in a Latin community. Um, I also very much enjoy and um, appreciate a lot of cultures. I appreciate them for a lot of reasons. Um, when I, when you're talking just now, Lewis, what I kept thinking to myself was, yes, you can navigate in this white world. When you go back to Guatemala, how how does that work? How does how do you do as a Guatemalan? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, I mean, by far the most obvious thing when I went back there um, was Guatemalan people are actually quite short. Um, which is unusual for me because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm about like five, nine, but like among men, like I'm definitely on the shorter side. Not there. Um, When I went there, I was, it was like a total role reversal. You know, I was like the tallest guy there. Um, And it was interesting because when I, we were in Antigua, Guatemala is where the conference was. And, you know, when I was walking around, I was, you know, because I think, and again, like, we can talk about this kind of more in depth, but, you know, I will admit like that was my first time traveling abroad. And so like, I was very kind of on guard because, you know, you're kind of taught all this stuff, like 
need to hang on. You need to watch out for pickpocketing and you need to, these are just kind of the things that I was kind of taught, you know, kind of growing up is you got to be careful because it's a dangerous country. There are dangerous neighborhoods. Um, and so I'm walking around kind of like, you know, a little bit guarded and like, okay, just need to be careful. Um, but then I had like this realization, like nobody was looking at me. Um, you know, nobody, I don't think anybody was looking at me and was like, oh, look, it's an American versus how, you know, maybe like a stereotypically, you know, like if Rin went down there to Guatemala, like, I think they would be like American. Rubia. Um, he definitely yeah. Rubia. I mean, in certain, especially in certain countries, some, not so much, some, you know, you've got a lot of very blonde Latins uh, or Hispanics and Latinos or Latinx, you know? Yeah. But, but and I didn't see that in Guatemala, but yeah. And so there was this experience of kind of walking around and not really being noticed. And then I went into a you know, local grocery store and, you know, got my stuff. And then they were just like checking me out like normal. And they started speaking Spanish and I was like, and then I had to, you know, I was like, oh no, sorry, I don't speak any, any Spanish. Um, and, and they looked up at me and they had like this really confused face and they're like, who are you? Like, what, what, who are you? And, you know, so it was, yeah, that was, that was interesting. And, and that is the, that kind of mirrors the experience that I've had in, you know, in the States among, among other Latinos, I think, especially those who grew up, you know, in a more, um, traditional kind of Latino household is, you know, there are, there are certain things that I can relate to, um, you know, like La Chancla, um, that I can relate to because, you know, when I was a kid, um, my Puerto Rican dad, if we were acting up, he would definitely raise the, the slipper or if like the dog was acting up and, and he, he would do that. Um, you know, he was big into the soap operas. He was big into telenovelas. Uh, oh yes, his story. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you don't know what Lewis is talking about, you know, you could get chancleta, which a chancleta is a sandal. And so you'll get literally smacked upside the head or whatever with your sandal. And so um every Latin family does it. They call it a little something different, basically the same idea. Um, but if you didn't get a chancleta to your head growing up essentially you did not grow up a true latin (laughs) yeah very true so yeah there were there were definitely some things you know food um that was a big thing in our house is is my dad was always good about cooking puerto rican food but then there were a lot of things you know especially pop, pop culture related that i just i mean i have you know that was like where the biggest kind of gap was was between that and, and language, of course, speaking, you know, Spanish is, you know, I just had really no concept of all my pop culture was white. I mean, all my music, all my movies, all of that stuff. So in college, you know, there was this kind of dual, like, it was awesome to be around Latino people for like the first real time and to have like friends and be able to make friends who were Latino. At the same time, I was like, wow, I really don't know anything about kind of current culture or like the culture growing up. Um, And so you almost have this like thought, like, well, if I get into this stuff, you know, (laughs) is it cultural appropriation? I mean, I guess not because I am Latino. So is it more like reclamation? Um, You know, maybe, Um, but it was, yeah. So it was very confusing, I felt at times. And, you know, it's something I'm still navigating and will kind of always, I guess, navigate but that's that's one of the challenges like figuring out you know 
okay, genetically, I am Malin, I am, um, you know, ethnically, I am Latino. Um, what, you know, what does it mean to reclaim or to discover culture um, compared to just how I grew up? What is, what does all of that mean for me? And what things are okay? What, what aren't? Um, because I think it does change the conversation a little bit when, you know, just thinking about what my background is for me. Sure. Well, I think, you know, we talk about that in culture. I think I take cultural appropriation um, really personally for a lot of reasons because I do. It's hard. First of all, in Miami, if you don't appropriate Latin culture, you're going to be like shunned. Um, and so it's, and it's, I think some people and like some of the celebrities out there now that are kind of uh, racially ambiguous, you know, they've been really being attacked. And um, I don't always know how I feel about that because, you know, I would really hate for someone to think that I was appropriating it for some awful reason. I'm, you know, appropriating, look, I make, I make more Latin food than I do any other food in this house. I have a Latin husband. I also enjoy it better. And it's not because I'm, I'm trying to steal. I'm trying to honor it. I very much love it, embrace it. I think others should. I actually just um, was um, appointed to the board of Centro Hispano, which is a big, um, it's, it's to try to help our, our current Latino um, community. And because I do think it's a big deal. It's not because I think I'm Latin. I am not, I am not Hispanic. I am not Latino. I am what I am. And I really just, I'm a lot of things myself. And so, you know, Wait, can I ask a question? <laughs> Do they think you're Latin? No, they know I'm not. Okay. I don't, I don't ever, I mean, if somebody assumes I am, look, my last name, I, my name is Katrina Enriquez Vargas. I've always had the yeah. <laughs> because I'm Filipino and how the Spaniards, you know, when they were invading everywhere, got our Asian Island. I'm in fact of Asian descent, not of Latino descent, but you know, um, it's not, you know, my, my Latin husband's just fine with me cooking the food and doesn't think I'm trying to take his culture from him. Um, you know, but also, you know, when we go to Dominican Republic because Donnie's very Dominican. He looks Dominican. He was, he, he lived there for a very long portion of his childhood. Um, and when he goes back, it, like if we're in like one of the cities where there's a lot of um, people trying to sell things, you know, they'll come up to him because they think he's American, believe it or not, not because of how he looks, but because how he dresses and because he's with me, they assume American. And then he switch, switches to very Dominican Spanish. And they're like, oh, Dominicano. And they all then leave us alone. Because they're like, oh, well, because Donnie and very Dominican Spanish will say something like, you're trying to sell that for $5. It's only worth 25 cents. So they know the game is up. He's Dominican. That's it. You can't sell to this guy. He's not, you know, a tourist. But we, it, it happens and all the, all the different countries, like you said, you're in Guatemala, you try to check out and all of a sudden you, you don't speak Spanish and they're like, wait a minute. Okay. You know, and like the very American Donnie who, you know, all of a sudden we're all going and I'll speak Spanish to the clerk or something. And they're like, I'm very, I'm discombobulated now <laughs> because I don't, I don't know what to do with this anymore. And so, yeah. And so that's the thing. It's like, it's navigating two worlds that you never really fit into and so right I think there is you know over you know compared and again I can only speak from like the I perspective and me perspective but what I would imagine is is that in in a lot of ways it's probably more difficult to be 
visibly mixed race because people can see right away. Like, you know, you don't fit into one or one or the other. Um, we're being kind of like culturally mixed race, you know, until I like actually share my background or, you know, open my mouth and they can hear like a very classic, you know, Midwestern <laughs> accent, um, you know, either, you know, in a country like Guatemala or among, you know, American um, Latinx people, they don't really know. Um, because again, I present like just how I look is very Guatemalan. There's no, you know, there's no confusion there on the surface. Um, but it's, it's, you know, going deeper, that's when you get into, you know, oh, okay, so there is something more going on there. So I work, I work currently um, at a boarding and day school in, in New Hampshire, and we've got about 140 students and about 40% of them are, are students of color. And then I would say we've got about 20, 30 actual um, Latinx students. And so when I came to this school, there were no, no employees of color, period. Um, I was the only one. Um, no, there was one other. There was one other employee of color. She's Cuban, um, but she has since left. And this year it's a lot there are two others. So, you know, still not great, but better than what it was. Um, but, you know, when I started out, right, they, you know, I think definitely expectation and definitely my want too was to, to be able to work with the Latinx students. But, you know, I was very, I was very transparent with them from the beginning. I was like, look, I, you know, I will do everything that I can to help you as students and I'll be your advocate with, you know, administration when I can and I'll, give you advice or I'll give you, you know, I'll, I'll be whatever kind of adult you need me to be is like kind of the de facto affinity group leader for you all. But I just have to be very honest about you about like, this is who I am. Um, and, you know, you probably do deserve like a more authentic, um, you know, Latinx person leading this group. Um, and I, I want that for you. I hope that for you. I hope we can get Someone who, you know, speaks Spanish and who has the cultural background and can, who can help you, um, you know, who has kind of that lived experience that can help you with the things around your cultural and racial and ethnic identities that that you need help with. And I can do some of that to to a degree. You know, this is who I am and, and you deserve, you know, you deserve better. But this is, you know, I will do the best for you in the interim that I can with what I've kind of got. Um, and, and, and I am glad this year we have, um, wonderful colleague of mine who, uh, who grew up in Chihuahua, uh, Mexico. He's awesome. He's great. Um, we haven't done affinity groups as much this year just because of COVID and all of that stuff, but I'm really hoping that, um, he is more of kind of the adult that they, you know, are hopefully needing and be looking and look, they've been very generous. I mean, I've heard from colleagues that like, They've loved being a person of color and, you know, a, a Latino adult that's been able to lead that group. Um, but at the same time, I just, you know, I really do feel like they need someone, you know, more authentic. And, and I think they'll be best served by, as the school continues to hopefully hire more people of color, um, you know, because I think I can offer a perspective, um, a Latino perspective, but, you know, is it the most kind of, 
widely shared one? No. Um, and, and Latino perspectives are a lot of things. You know, there is no one Latino experience or one way to be a Latino or anything like that. Um, so I can definitely offer, you know, a perspective among the broader Latinx narrative, but I in no way think that like I should be kind of the sole um, narrative or the sole person leading that. And so I'll be so glad when there are other adults who can, you know, help with that work and help give students, you know, different trusted adults that they can go to. Well, I just think you being aware, right, helps. I like to think that I'm that person on board five of the foster care review board because I'm not those things, but I can, I can lend a compassionate ear and understand that I've had to make explanations for a lot of things on behalf of our um, non-custodial parents. And because we do get a lot, I, I'm, I, there's not a whole lot of people of color in Knox County and there aren't a whole lot of people of color on the board. Um, I don't know really of any, like many that are not just, you know, and there's nothing wrong with them. But um, when we have a very Latin or even African um, family come in, any of them, you know, what is construed as wrong in our culture is very culturally acceptable for them. And they're being very harshly judged by our system that they have not been able to even understand or be made to understand yet. And now we take their kids away. Um, we've got language barriers. We've got a lot of those things. And, and I try to explain, you know, Latin people are loud. They're boisterous. That's they're, they're exuberant and wonderful. Like, so it's where you think they're yelling, they're just talking. And that's well, and they, and, and, and I'm not saying they Latin people, but different cultures discipline their children in different ways. And there, I mean, there's definitely a line where something becomes child abuse, but just because it's not what progressive liberals prescribe as the appropriate way to discipline a child, which, which sometimes is uh, nothing, um, <laughs> uh, doesn't mean that it's wrong or that, you know, it's they're bad parents. That's exactly. You know? And then they come in to the, so we're here, we've taken their kids, a bunch of white people have taken their kids, and now they sit in front of a panel of white people. Judging, judging them, them. The, or that they think is judging them. I, all our judges are white. Um, yeah. you know, I, and it, it often there's a language barrier. It bothers uh, me. It bothers me so viscerally because I just, I can't even imagine the trauma that is being inflicted in so many ways and so many facets at every single level. And so, you know, oftentimes I'm having to speak up for something I don't have any personal experience on that does not, it's not me, but I had to explain myself when I moved here. Okay. I had to make a lot of explanations for why I was what I was and who I was and my religious background, my cultural background, my ethnic back, all of the things. So even though I moved from the United States to the United States, there are two very different United States or 50 million different United States here. And you can go from Miami to Knoxville or Knoxville to Miami and it not be a, a beautiful thing. And so I can only just, and I at least speak the language, right? You know, and, and so all of this stuff is happening and we're forgetting that there are other people. And I mean, I can imagine, look, 
I know what you're feeling, Louis, because even I'm not Latina, people think I am. And then, like I said, I have to explain why I'm not or why you thought I was, but I'm not and, and all of these things. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion of That Other F Word.